Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Valentino Stoll. Hey now. And Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. We have a special guest this week, and that is Bear Kessels. Bear, you want to say hi, introduce yourself, tell us where you're from, why you're famous, all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, I'm Bear. Uh, I'm from the Netherlands. Um, I also live in the Netherlands. Um, I'm a Ruby developer for, I think, something like 12, maybe 15 years. Quite long. Um, Rails mostly, um, and uh, uh, yeah, I wrote some some articles on my blog. I'm, I'm, I'm blogging a lot, uh, and I'm really big into testing. So that's basically me. <laughs> cool. Yeah, we're gonna talk about testing here. Um, we're, we were also talking before the show about having you come back and talk about the Fediverse. So if people are interested in that, that that'd be a fun one to get into. But um, since we invited you to talk about testing and you prepped for that, uh, we're going to roll with that. Um, now, uh, just to kind of dive in and uh, kind of get things rolling, the article that we reached out to you about, and it was kind of interesting. Um, I think there's a lot more to be said than what you can get into a reasonable blog post about this. But you said, uh, how do I test X is almost always answered with by controlling X. So do you want to just kind of give us a, uh, an overview of what you mean by that? Yeah, uh, certainly. So um, if, if you want to test something, uh, a lot of people always try to, to find out how, um, how can I actually test this thing? Because there's a lot of things going on within this X. You know, it might reach out to another service. It might put stuff in the database and so on. So if you want to test that thing, which we call X, um, you'll really have to control it. So you'll have to own it and own everything in it um, and everything that it reaches out to. You have to all own it, which is pretty obvious if you think about it, but it's mm-hmm. uh, it's quite often it's 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 forgotten and people end up in like kind of a testing hell where all their tests that get really slow or really cumbersome to set up and so on. Yeah, so... Um, it, the, the idea is that if you if you can control X, then testing X becomes really easy. That's kind of the reverse of of, of this this setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the way I think about it, and I think you're kind of saying the same thing is, um, I'm not always trying to control the thing I'm trying to test, but I'm trying to control everything around it. Right, anything that it touches. Right, I want to know that it touches it the way that I expect. Um, and that I'm controlling everything that goes into it, which is kind of the same idea. Um, but yeah, so some of the ways that you do this, like in a unit test, it seems pretty straightforward, right? It's yep. like, you know, I can mock out all the services or anything that it calls out to. Um, I can give it the parameters that I expect. That's pretty straightforward. But as you kind of move up the ladder, and you kind of pointed this out in your article, it gets tricky. So let's start at kind of the simplest case, I think, and then move up from there. Um, so yeah. yeah, so in the simplest case, is it the unit test or is it something else? Am I off base no, there? I, I think the unit test uh, is, is the simplest case. And I, in Ruby, I tend to even call them class tests because a unit most often is a class. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the simplest one. Um, you can You can test it by just making sure that everything that this class is reaching out to, or like the instance of the class is reaching out to, uh, uh, is controlled by you. 
So there's nothing external, nothing third party, no third party lips in there. It just reaches out to other classes that you own and that you can control in that test setting. So basically, uh, the thing is often called dependency injection. You've just set up the class, everything in that you control and then run the test on that class. Yeah. So uh, just to give some ideas here, um, I think most of the unit tests that I do, it's all internal state. So I don't even have to really uh, do dependency injection or anything like that. But uh, for the people who aren't familiar, because we don't do a ton of it in Ruby in our day-to-day programming, in dependency injection, you effectively pass something in that behaves like um, whatever you're going to touch. And then that that's what it talks to. So it, uh, just to give a little bit better case, a lot of times in your constructor, in your class, uh, you'll have a parameter. And a lot of times it's like a, an optional parameter or has a default for what it's going to use in production. So it'll use the send email class or something, right? Uh, that its job mm-hmm. is just to manage sending emails. But in, in, in your test, what you do is you pass in a double or a mock or a test class for that class. And then it interfaces with that because your tests often don't have, you don't want to actually send emails. And so what you want is you want it to uh, log the request and then give a proper response so that your test will continue to run as you expect. And so dependency injection is effectively that where you pass in the entity that you're going to interact with. Um, yeah, but exactly. yeah, yeah, makes a yeah. lot of sense. I, I, I do see this uh, in, in, in reals in, in the context of, of services. So, so sometimes, I mean, uh, by default, Rails comes in an MVC model views controllers, but quite often people stick services in there. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. kind of a model view. And then the controller reaches out to services and the service do all kind of business logic and then they they interact with the models. So such a service would be really easy to test if the models that you pass into it are just really dumb things. It's just really right plain old Ruby objects rather than active record things with all kind of validations and so on. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I could see that if you're testing like concerns or something like that in Rails, right? Because yeah, then you're just included in a compatible class and make sure that you can call the right things and it does the right things. So how do you you control callbacks? Um, Ouch! (laughs) (laughs) Are you, you With great difficulty. No, go ahead. The, in, in, in models like the, 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 the callback in, in functions. Models. Yeah, the after right. saves and so on. Well, I, I try not to. I just try not to use them. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, because because I'm, I can't control them. So that, that's also something that I'm touching on. Like if you cannot control it, testing is going to be pain. Um, and and so, sometimes that's okay, but quite often it's, it's enough reason to just not use the feature. If it's really hard to test and really hard to reason about, but uh, yeah, they're there and um, they're quite often a pain to test. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, so that that kind of leads to two questions. One is is what do you use instead, and two, what if you have to? So what I use instead is I try to to wrap the the, the stuff. Uh, so for example, services that I was talking about earlier. If if there's a lot of complex things going on that you want to do around uh, maybe, I don't know what, updating uh, a payment, then I'd rather just write a a payment update service, which does all all that magical stuff. And then in the end, just calls update on the the payment, uh, active record object. 
than uh-huh. to stick it all into this same active record of it. But that's if I control it. And if I can't, then, well, it's there and I've got to test it. But then it's just, I, I tend to pull them out of the unit test and into integration tests, which is, I think, where they then belong because they're doing a lot more than just testing this simple unit. You're, you're interacting with a database, you're interacting with email services, maybe Stripe, I don't know what. Uh, I, I guess I had... But my biggest thing that I'm always going back and forth on, especially with unit tests, is like, how much do you mock, right? Like, how much do you control? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, because uh, I, I, I often find myself just mocking way too much. Uh, mm-hmm. And then eventually something breaks that maybe if I hadn't mocked as much, it would have flown through. And, you know, it's easy to get gaps in test coverage that way, right? If you sure. can start controlling too much and then lose track of it as you start scoping out, uh, I'm wondering what your strategy is for that. For like reasoning about that, I, I I'm I'm a bit the same. I I'm really I I've I've switched 180 degrees. I think four times in this, <laughs> from like mock everything to mock nothing to uh, I, I I it's it's really hard. It's and and especially in Ruby, which is so dynamic, it's really really hard. Like in, in very static languages, it becomes much easier because you have much more control over all the stuff that you're passing in. Like your editor will just say, okay, what you're passing in now is just nonsense. It's not, it, it doesn't even have this method. But Ruby, well, you can just pass in everything. And you, it's, it's just keeping thumbs crossed or fingers crossed whether it will quack like a duck, you know? Uh, it, and and, and mm-hmm. then maybe even in the test, it will quack like a duck, but then in production, it won't. It's That's really hard. Uh, I'm, I, I don't really know. I, I tend to keep my mocks as simple as possible, try to avoid mocking frameworks. Uh, mocks are just plain old Ruby objects, usually. Uh, a spy, I might pick up uh, a framework for that, but in the end, a spy, writing a spy, is, a spy is like, it's, it's like a mock that, that actually records when you call something on it. Um, that's not that hard. It's just keeping uh, an array somewhere in, in that class uh, of what has been called. But yeah, anything beyond that, I might reach out to a, to, to a mocking framework, but I tend to avoid them just to keep my mocking and stopping as simple as possible. If, if I really need really complex mocks and stops, I'm probably doing too much. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you know, what Valentino asked. Yeah, I've I've had tests where you know, I tested the crap out of the mock, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 or out yeah. of the thing I stubbed, and yeah, and then I got an error when I ran it in production because, you know, I missed a case or I uh, kind of contracted a case away or something like that. It's yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's like I don't need the full featured um, service, so. Yeah, I, you know, I don't want it to to try and call out to the world or anything, and so it's it's a tough balance sometimes. It certainly is. Uh, it, it, yeah, like I said, I've been I've been 108 degrees in this. I think maybe four or five times. I'm, I'm I don't know. It's it's a hard problem because indeed I I've been doing the same that I've just been testing stops and testing mocks in the end, and that's basically <laughs> useless. You're just writing code yep. that's testing itself and and not doing anything really useful yeah yep. i want to say like my, my biggest 
my biggest challenge, I guess, with with mocking is like the the external responses, like external callbacks, right? Like something like a, a Twilio callback or like GitHub hook, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, how, how do you mock that and also make sure that like it's doing the thing that the external sort you know source does, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I usually encounter this only in the context of either end-to-end tests or integration tests. So unit tests, it's probably, it's, it's much easier because in a unit test, yeah, you just have a class and you're, you're talking to some kind of Twilio uh, uh, service that you can easily mock out because it's not doing that much. But in the case of integration tests, yeah, well, uh, one of the really interesting architectures that, uh, that that I also described in this article is, is called hexagonal hexagonal art mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's a tongue breaker but um, Alistair Cockburn came up with that uh, that idea and it's like ports and adapter is, is another name for it so basically yeah. what you do is you write adapters and, and we, we see that in rails and we all use it in rails that's quite funny because rails has this right. in, in some places like for example the e in test, it's just switched out the, the email delivery, the SMTP email delivery swapped out for, I don't know, like file or, or test uh, uh, email delivery. Um, and that's actually the ports and adapters uh, architecture in place. But you can you can implement it everywhere. Just write a small layer in between it and call it my SMS notification adapter and, and swap it out in the test environment for something that's just testing whether uh, something has been sent to there. Uh, and in production, you swap it out for the actual Twilio uh, production uh, adapter. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of what Alistair um, intended with that, was, or at least one of the uses, was, yeah, that kind of uh, swappable, uh, you, you know the ability to sub something in the other the other piece that it gives you is then if you move off of Twilio and you move on to some other service that does what Twilio does, you can still test your integration with the same adapter. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're also separating the, the actual business logic, the stuff that's really interesting to test, with uh, and you're separating that from the the plumbing, like the 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 sending of the SMS by Twilio, which isn't that interesting for your application. Well, it might be, but usually right. it isn't. You can you can presume that the Twilio gem is going to do its work and, and that it will work. You don't, you don't need to test that very hard, I'd say. So we've kind of been flirting with the line between uh, integration tests and unit tests, right? Where, yep. you know, your unit test, yeah, so you set up a service that wraps over Twilio or something like that, and then you write an integration test between the two. Um, mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think the line gets a little bit fuzzy, though, because a lot of times we kind of conflate the responsibility of the service with the class, um, or we see the class as needing to fu- needing to do what the job that the service does, right, as part of its job. And so, h- how do you start making sense of what goes in a unit test and what goes in an integration test? Um, I, I don't really have a very hard line for that. Usually, a unit test is uh, really when I try to to test uh, what I t- 
tend to call a bounded domain. So really something that I can draw a very strict line. When, when I would be drawing it on a whiteboard, I could put a big red line around it and it's, it's all okay. like contained within there. That that would be a unit test. And and um, in, in Ruby, that's very often, like especially in Rails, that's very often just a model or, or, or a controller mm-hmm. or a service. Um, but it might be two or three models clumped together because it practices like your user and your role and your uh, thing. Like they, they always need to go together. So just clump them up and act as if they're one thing. Why not? So then I would still use call them unit tests. But um, but yeah, uh, usually integration tests is when you put all these things together and, and you test whether they actually work together. Right. Which 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 is also when when you actually uh, see that all your mocks and stops aren't testing correctly. Like if if you have a lot of mocks and stops in your unit tests and your integration test suddenly starts failing, then you know that you were that your mocks were basically wrong or weren't weren't the way that in an actual integration uh, they they were working together. And when when we did in the book club, we did uh, clean architecture by mm-hmm. uh, Uncle Bob. And you said that unit tests aren't always just a class, but it could be like, uh, yeah, you draw a line around things. And that kind of reminded me of the way that he put together uh, components in your architecture versus, say, classes or entities or whatever you wanted to call them. And uh, again, that makes a lot of sense. You might have some things that look a lot like integration tests just in the sense that this class calls that class or calls that service. But in reality, it's still within that bounded area. And so they're kind of made to work together. And the integration is really kind of a minor thing. Yeah, the integration test more is, you know, I've got user management. And now I've also got, um, I don't know, if you're working in like a financial domain, you've got your ledger management, right? So you've got your entries and, uh, you know, deposits and all that stuff. And you know, it's doing math between them and all that stuff. And so, um, yeah, your integration test is, does my user structure or permission structure play nicely with the ledger structure, you know, as far as who can edit what or who can, you know, who can change what, who can add entries, who can, you know, do that kind of a thing. And then um, on the other end, yeah, everything internal to that, you know, where you have entries and, maybe an overall ledger or a set of ledgers or a set of accounts that all kind of go in there, those kind of unit test together because they're so closely tied and at the end of the day, don't really interact with too many things outside of them except for where you've specifically designed the API to talk back and forth to something else. And so then you get your integration test there. That's exactly how I look at this as well, yeah. That's how I try to 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 phrase these things. Yeah, I wanted to call out. I really liked your uh, your how you described the integration test as like kind of boundary splunking, right? Where, where you're mm-hmm. trying to find and expose the boundaries. And I, I I never thought of it that way. Like integration tests are kind of a good place to discover maybe where boundaries should be drawn that don't exist even, uh, right? Like if you're having a hard time writing an integration test with the things that work together, maybe there's a reason for that, right? <laughs> and maybe like trying to to draw new boundaries could be discovered from those integration tests. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought of it that way, but yeah. 
Makes sense. Well, and the way you describe it, Valentino, reminds me a little bit more of TDD, which we all know is a fat diet, uh, if you, if you <laughs> ask uh, THH. But, uh, you know, that that's the idea behind TDD is that you haven't set any of this in stone yet. And of course, it's software, so none of it's set in stone. But yeah, you can go and explore it and say, yeah, this doesn't fit nicely in the tests as I have them set up. And so I can change the structure in the tests and then reflect that into the code. Yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, of watching uh, Gary Bernhardt's old uh, Destroy All Software. Uh, uh-huh. I, that's that's where I first came across like true TDD. And it, it kind of opened my eyes because like, you know, nothing had been built but the tests. <laughs> and uh-huh. like he, he like explained like reasoning about like, putting together different constructs and objects, you know, just through testing, which was wild to me. <laughs> and uh, it, it definitely, you know, it, it reminds me of how you write about it there, like with with the domain structuring and the tests. Like uh, it, it's very, uh, I mean, I, I definitely do, don't do full TDD, <laughs> but I do more because of how it helps reasoning about things. Like if I ever, if I have a question about what I'm working on or what I'm trying to do, like I'll, I'll, that's where I'll start TDD. Yeah, yeah, it's also interesting you bring up uh, Gary's screencast because he he went really deeply into uh, functional core. Um, I can't remember what what he called the external piece, but. Um, if you look at it, if you squint at it a little bit, it's it takes a lot of ideas from ports and adapters or hexagonal architecture. And so as you kind of pull these ideas together and start saying, okay, I'm going to structure this out. These are my adapters. These are the ports. These are, you know, this is how I design the API. And then this is how the core is going to work internal to itself. Yeah, you get some really interesting ways of putting the software together that make it really easy to reason about, okay, these are the core features and then these are the adapters or services. And so then as you test it and you structure it, yeah, it, it starts to plug together pretty nicely. Not always, right? Sometimes I just find stuff that just, no matter how I do it, I'm just not happy with it. But a lot of times, yeah, you start finding things that kind of slide into place really nicely. It also kind of depends on, on how much you're testing on, on other levels, right? If, if like, how, how, how um, useful the tests that you have are and, and how useful TDD is in that sense. I mean, if you're just writing tests for the sake of writing tests and, and you start off with a lot of nitty gritty things, it, it doesn't really make sense. So, yeah, I, I, in that sense, I really liked the, the early book of Cucumber where, where they describe this BDD, this outside in development. Mm-hmm. Where you would really start off with the actual user interface, like some kind of automation clicking on on buttons and and seeing that fail, and then filling in the the actual details more and more, and and that's how I try to do it, but <laughs> I never really managed to do it. But it uh, it's it's I think I like the idea. Yeah, I think that's going up just another level, right? Is once your integrations all work nicely, right now it's okay. How does it do front to back? And exactly. doing those tests, yeah. and I'm I'm imagining too that mocking some of that stuff out has got to be. How do I say this? I'll say it sarcastically. Extra fun. I I think it really it's it's definition thing for for me at least it's a definition thing. Like like what is if if I'm trying to write end to end tests, what is one end and what is the other end? Like like um, 
if 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 it's if it's an application that's just putting stuff in a database, then one end is the database, mm-hmm. the other end is maybe some user interface, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a REST API. So then the end-to-end test would be just make it call to the REST API, and then the, the validation would be check if it's uh, a record in a Postgres mm-hmm. database. But mm-hmm. if the end-to-end test is a mobile app, then I'd say just open up the mobile app and start hitting buttons there. Um, and no one cares that there's a Rails backend behind it somewhere over REST. Just as long as the app works, uh, that's what the user really validates, uh, uh, values. That's fair, but in a lot of cases, I want that, uh, I, I want that automation to it, right? So I don't want to just open the app and start clicking stuff or tapping stuff, right? I, I want my CICD server to go and do at least some level of, right? Even if it's just the happy path, and you know, and the people can pay me money path, right? Um, you know, just just so that at the end of the day, I feel good about okay, you know, people can get the value out of it, or at least the core value out of it, and and I can make money on it, right? So that I'm comfortable, and then yeah, if something else breaks, right, then I can put a test around that when I run into it. So how do you do that? at the application level? I mean, can you mock stuff out there at that level? Yeah, you can. Um, so if, if you have this ports and adapter, then you can just swap out ports if you really want. But then mm. like it, it, it again depends on whether you think that what's behind that adapter belongs to the uh, deal. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Usually I'll, I'll try to use services for that, which are meant to be testing. Like for example, if I'm using... If, if the, the, the email example, um, uh, SendGrid has like, uh, you, you can put it in, in a sandbox mode and you can make REST calls to it to check whether right. an email has been sent. So you could really make end-to-end as in start hitting some, uh, have Selenium or some web driver hitting buttons on your front end and then make a REST call to SendGrid as in like, did you get a request to, to deliver this email to whatever user? Yeah, uh, and that's really end-to-end. But uh it it really in my case it really depends on on how important it is for the business and if it's really important then yeah, sure like like payments Stripe has this I mean you can you can make a, a fake yeah Stripe does can, yeah and that's I I, I if if payments is, is an important thing <laughs> and it usually is because that's what the whole business is about then I've included at least one or two of these tests that that, that I see that a payment actually arrives at Stripe yeah it's funny you. Yeah. I feel like I reach for services that make this easier <laughs> uh, because mm-hmm. then I'm able to test it more easily. But also like just ha- like third parties that have like the tooling built where it just works and then you can stub it out like and it, you know it works well because they built it, right? Like I'm always reaching for providers like that. So if, if you're a provider out there and you're building tools for, you know, that developers can use, <laughs> Uh, I mean, making it easy to test with uh, is like you know, in for to your advantage, right? <laughs> yeah, I completely agree because it and it's not just so that I know that it works, but it's also so that if something goes funny with my account, if something goes funny with you know, you change the API and you thought, hey, this is not a breaking change, and it turns out it's a breaking change. I find out 
that my app doesn't work, right? Another reason for, for having end-to-end tests, for, for me at least, is that I'm really lazy. I, I don't like opening up Firefox and clicking around or Chrome and then clicking around <laughs> on buttons all day. I mean, we can, I'm, 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 a, I'm a computer guy. I automate that stuff. I, I went, when I have to click three times on the same button, I prefer to write a script that clicks three times on the button for me. So that's one of the reasons why I love writing end-to-end tests for not having to do re- repeat tasks all day. I, I'm really yeah. surprised that there's not a tool that's been made already that just like opens up the page and uses like image recognition to tell where buttons are and just like randomly clicks on things to like try and get things to behave badly. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> just see oh, if something be... happens, you know, like Chaos Monkey from Netflix for their like, you know, microservices, but just for the UX, right? <laughs> I know I would call it four year old or something, right? And it click it clicks your button like a million times, like click 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 right. click. click, click. <laughs> you know, types all weird characters, right? Like, right. <laughs> well, it's funny limit sequences because <laughs> you you talk about this, and before I was a full time developer, uh, I was I did QA, and um, of course I told them, "Hey, I'm going to automate this stuff," and they said, "No, you're not." And so, like, I had to go, and I had to. Uh, I mean, this is what I did. You know, and yeah, I it, it was never because you know most of the happy path stuff. You know the developers that were working on it, and I do this too, right? I'll run through it, and it's all happy, and it does what you know what I expect it to. But yeah, it's when I put funny characters in, or you know, uh, click the UI a zillion times, or um, you know, try and give it an an input or output, or try SQL injection, or um, you know, just all kinds of weird stuff. You know, that, that was my job. You know, I, another, it's another reason to have integration tests or just like system tests. I don't know what you want to call it these days, but like something that mm-hmm. goes to a browser and, and clicks around. I mean, once you get like a huge app, right? Like I find myself just running them locally and like watching the browser do its magic so that I know how to use the app. <laughs> Right. So like I use it as product exploration, right? Where I'm going, I'm I'm watching the test run so that I know, oh, like I'll find something new all the time, right? Like, oh, we have this whole new product or whole new thing. And I'm like, I didn't even know we had that, you know? And like there's the test, like getting it to work. And then I'll go in and, you know, try on my own later. Uh, And it's, it's kind of like a, (laughs) a fun, you know, use case for that, like trying to just explore what you have built uh, or somebody else on your team, right? you running like your uh, Cypress test or something? Yeah, like Cypress or Selenium or something, right? Just watching yeah. Chrome turn away. So one other question that I have with some of this, right? Because we're talking about Ruby in particular, but um, how do I put it? So I see people, a lot of times they'll have a Rails backend and then they'll have like a React or a Vue frontend. So do you, do you change your approach on some of this stuff with that? I guess I guess you wouldn't have to until you're getting to like the app testing, right? Make sure the React app plays nicely with the Rails app. Yeah, I I think in in that case too, it's it's mostly a definition definition thing. Like uh, if 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 I'm if I put on my hat as as API team, uh, just then maybe end to end means from the REST API to the REST API. But if you put on the uh-huh. product owner hat then end-to-end 
test means that the iOS app and the Android app and the React app is all working. So yeah, it's 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 kind of complicated in, in that sense that it it all depends on on what you define as the boundary of what your application is, I think. No, that makes sense. And it's not my fault if they're doing it wrong, right? <laughs> no. No, but it, it does make sense in the sense that, yeah, you're making sure that you're fulfilling your end of the contract with the other apps. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I prefer to work in environments where end-to-end really means the end user, like the one the paying customer, the way they're mm-hmm. using the app and, and not some fictional customer that's just, like the guys in the room next door. Um, because, yeah, that, that's kind of, yeah. And I, I don't really like that. But sometimes that's the way it is. And and it could can be uh, really useful to put boundaries there because then at least you know that your part is working exactly right. But, yeah, uh, I, I prefer to have also uh, the, the real end-to-end tests in place. So are there any other aspects to this that we haven't talked through? I did think of one thing that I wanted to throw at you because I think most of the time when I've done mocks, I've used some kind of testable library. Right, even if it's just kind of the test doubles that come with our spec or test unit or mm-hmm. what? And it's not test unit anymore; it's mini test. Yeah. Gosh, I'm old. Anyway, <laughs> so um, you said that you do this by just creating a class. That I mean, yeah. it. I, I'm curious how you set that up. Do you do you put those in your test directory? As just the you know. Something, yeah. something double, or how does that work? Well, yeah, usually I'll just like uh, I'm, I'm prefer to use Minitest, uh, which which is the, uh-huh. by far the simplest. And Minitest has some very simple mocking and stubbing uh, and, and spies in place, and they're actually really simple. I I I, I always try to to open up such classes that I'm using a lot, and it's like maybe fifty lines of code. So yeah, it's 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 really straightforward, and but. Usually, I'll I'll just say okay, I'm I'm testing this unit, for example, if we, if we talk about a unit test, and then uh, within that that class, so for example, it's called class uh, well whatever a payment test, and within that class, I'll just open up another class, so just define class uh, fake payment, just define some attributes in there, hard coded, uh, maybe a method call that hard coded returns something always returns true or always returns false. And then I use that instead of the actual payment active record object that would be used usually in, in this context. Valentino, you have anything you want to add or ask? Yeah, I was curious if you use like any... I, I wanted to dive into the testing tooling that you use because uh, you've got a pretty good grasp on like very definitive things to test and and maybe the overarching ar- architecture of testing. Uh so there's all there's got to be some great tools in your toolbox, right? Like what are, what are your go tos like top three for when you're like uh, that you use across all of your apps, you know, for testing. Uh, so uh, um, you, you mentioned Cypress already uh, for end to end tests. That's because uh, I mean Selenium and and all this stuff it works. It's a pain and 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 it always breaks and it always breaks at the worst moment, like like everything. But uh, and Cypress just like it, it works and I, I like that. Um, and also it's really visual. And, and, um, so that's one thing for, for end-to-end test, uh, for, for my testing environment, just what Rails or Ruby comes with me, uh, is mini test. 
it's it's really good. It's actually a very good uh, system. Um, sometimes running the test is a bit hard, so I like running a single test and so on. It's it's I think it's one of the most voted up mini test questions on Stack Overflow. How do I run one test? Because mini tests didn't have anything in place for that for running just one test or two tests. But uh, yeah, that that. And that 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 all works pretty well. There's some just very small add-ons for that, and uh, yeah, basically that I I do have them integrated into. I'm, I use NeoVim, uh, also some visual code, and I do have them integrated always, so that I can run from within my IDE or, or NeoVim, if you want to call it an IDE. I can run the test that I have under my cursor. Yeah, that makes sense. I I guess like, <laughs> how do you prevent the like uh, the chain reaction of okay? You know, a user has many of everything in your app, uh, and <laughs> right. the factory defines that it has all these things. Uh, you know, and and just initiating the one user, you know, factory now generates a slew of other factories, uh, and it you know it does it slows things down when you're running tests, you know, uh, very easily. And I know there's like you know you can have like. Uh, you can describe in factory bot how you were, you know, build certain dependencies of of the factory, right? Uh, so that it only you know initiates the active record object, but not that that rec it doesn't save it to the database or something like that. Um, but still, I feel like there's still no good solution <laughs> to be like, all right, I want this factory, but you know, not the extraneous stuff, like you know. And I, I find myself just creating a bunch of traits for factories so that. I can have slimmed down versions of isolated things. And then it just becomes a mess, like trying to manage all of that. <laughs> and I wish there was like a way to like just make it automatic, you know, where like it mm-hmm. knows how to handle this particular kind of thing, you know. Uh, and, and maybe it is just how I'm, <laughs> how I'm modeling it. But I, I, I have a slight preparation uh, for uh, a factory bot in this, in that it, it makes it much. Uh, more obvious that you need uh, a role in order to be able to save a user, for example. But in essence, when you do need that, and 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 it's not it's not an actual unit like the user is a unit on itself. Then suddenly you have you have built dependency on roles and this like very tight coupling because you need a role in order to save a user. Um, that then I try to 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 decouple that first of all. So I try to not depend on on this complex state in the database if it's possible. And but and and in that sense, factory bot makes it much more obvious that you have all these dependencies and the the the, the, the old uh, Rails uh, uh, fixtures. They don't. They just like bam. There is your database. That's your state and. It, it it doesn't really show you that there's a lot of dependency between the states. Yeah, I think the the way that I've seen it with factory bot, uh, where, yeah, you don't want all of the zillion different dependencies. You don't need ten of all of them. Um, is that yeah, you create factories that just generate the ones you need for the different test cases, but then you have to keep straight which factory you're hitting in order to get what you want. And then you also have to keep straight that you're not running other factories that may change what you get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it reminds me, there's like that concerning 
block you can give to models, right? Where you can define uh, belongs to and has many's and all those associations like in blocks. So you could say, okay, like in the context of this thing, I, I was hopeful when I saw that, that there was just like some automatic test mechanism that would just like, okay, I want this, this concerning group, right? And in my factories. And it, I don't see that anywhere. Maybe I just need to build it. <laughs> but I was so hopeful that that was like the solution uh, <laughs> to be like, okay, I want, I really only want this giant model that has these particular concerning items for this, right? Like, and uh, <laughs> some someday, I know I'll get there, but <laughs> it's like been, you know, Rails have been around so long. Like you think like this is a very common thing to go wrong. Like, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. Good deal. Well. Um... If there's nothing else to jump on, I think we're going to, I'll push us into picks. This was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, Valentino, you have some picks for us? Uh, yeah, I've been uh, following on this crazy uh, Twitter explosion over uh, this paper that came out on, uh, it's a, a technical paper on room temperature superconductors. Somebody has supposedly made one. Uh, in a lab, mm-hmm. and it hasn't been peer reviewed, or hasn't been peer reviewed, like reproduced in labs yet. And so now there's like all these labs on Twitter, like openly like going through that process, and it's kind of really exciting because uh, you know if a <laughs> superconductor can be can happen at room temperature, there's like all kinds of crazy innovation that's about to boom <laughs> related to that. And so it's like kind of wild to see just like the explosion of responses uh, happening. So. I've been following that. That is interesting. All right. I'll throw in a couple of picks. I always start with a board game. Um, This is a board game I played with my friends last week. It's called Living Forest. And um, Board Game Geek has a weight of 2.21. So easy, casual game. Says 40 minutes. I think we took a little bit longer, but it was my first time playing. And anyway, so effectively, what you're trying to do is you're trying to be the first uh, person to get to uh, 12 of a certain kind of token. So you have like lotus flowers which show up on your cards and your board um, and everyone has their own little board and then what, what you do wind up doing is you can buy trees that go in your in your forest that give you bonuses and then if you fill certain rows or columns you also get bonuses. Um, you get animals and the animals also give you certain, um, uh, basically, tokens, things you can spend, which is water, sun, I can't remember. Lotus flowers is one of them, and lotus flowers is one of the tokens you're trying to get to 12 of. Um, you can also have 12 unique trees. You can get 12 fire tokens. Um, and yeah, there's a fire spirit out there. So if you don't have enough water to overcome the fire that's, um, out there at the end of the round, then you have to take a, a fire gremlin. I can't remember what they're called, but basically, it's just a it's a blank card in your in your deck, and you play your deck out until you have three um, three of the wrong kind of animals. Basically, um, some of them give you bonuses, but they're also you know once you have three of them, you've busted, and so you only get one action instead of two. Um, I don't need to explain the whole game, but anyway, um, so it's kind of a nature themed game. Um, and so, yeah, as soon as somebody gets to 12 tokens, so 12 fire, 12 trees, whatever, um, then everybody else gets a chance to finish the round. And then what, what you do is anybody who got to 12 tokens 
um, they can add up all of the things that would count toward a 12 token set. So all of your lotus flowers, all of your trees, all of your um, fire tokens, etc. And then whoever has the highest total wins. So if you're the only one that gets to 12, you win. Um, but if not, then the tiebreaker is all the other kinds of tokens. And it, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, there are enough moving parts to where you really kind of have to figure out what you're going to prioritize. Um, but once you've played the game once or twice, you also figure out that you can't ignore the fire tokens. Because initially, when, I, when we were playing, um, I had a ton of water. And so I left the fire tokens out there so that the other two guys would have to put dead cards in their deck. But what I figured out was uh, one of my friends wound up buying like four fire tokens. And so that got him well on his way to getting 12. And that was the fastest. He was going to get to 12 fire tokens faster than I could get to 12 of anything that I was doing. And so um, me and the other guy had to wind up buying fire tokens or you know, getting the fire tokens with our water because we didn't want him to win. So um, that's that's the other piece of the game is you do have to balance the the fire. But everything else, yeah, it's just a matter of just, you know, building your sets, building your deck, um, you know, figuring out which actions to take. It was a lot of fun. Um, so I'm going to pick Living Forest. Um, and then a couple of other things. So last week, my wife and I, I'm going to be a little bit long-winded because I have a whole bunch of things that I, I'm picking. Last week, my wife and I decided to do a double feature at the movie theater. Um, so we went and saw two movies. One of them is Sound of Freedom. And it's about Tim Ballard, who founded Operation Underground Railroad, uh, goes out and finds uh, children that are being sex trafficked and rescues them and works with local governments to get these people arrested. And I really, really, really enjoyed it. So. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to pick that, um, some parts of it, like they don't, they don't get into any graphic stuff, but some parts of it are hard to watch because you can kind of see it coming and then they cut to the next scene. Um, and then, and, and you just see the terrified look on these kids faces, right? I mean, they're actors. They, you know, they didn't put them through anything filming the, the, the movie, but still anyway, and two of the two kids that are the main kids that they're looking for. Are the same ages as two of my kids. Uh, that if if you reverse the genders, I have a son and a daughter that are that age, but they're the other age of the other kid. Um, the other movie we went and saw was Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and they they hit a lot of the nostalgia chords that I wanted them to hit with Crystal Skull, so I enjoyed that. Um, the plot was okay. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was worth seeing. So I'll, I'll put that out there as a pick. Um, and then the last thing is, is I'm getting ready to launch. I was initially going to do like a podcast boot camp, but I may eventually do that. But what I'm doing instead is I'm going to launch a podcasting for programmers group. And it's just going to be kind of a mastermind group coaching group. So for if you're interested in learning how to do a podcast, you want to do about programming topics, um, you want my help kind of figuring out how to get it started. Uh, we're going to do weekly calls with the group, just whoever signs up. Um, probably going to have topics for most of them and then a Q&A once a month. And um, that way we can kind of work through, okay, you know, here's how you get your artwork. or Here's how you attract the right kind of guests or the right kind of audience or things like that. Um, some, A lot of the advice I have about podcasting is just, it'll work for any podcast. 
But there are some things that you run into as you're podcasting about programming that other podcasters just don't really think about. So for example, you know, we're talking about code, but it's kind of hard, hard to talk about specific instances of code because reading the code on the podcast sucks, right? And so there are techniques and ways to get around that. There are ways to open that up. So if you're interested in that, uh, go to topendev slash podcasting. It'll redirect you to the group. You can sign up. Um, the initial sign up is going to be $49 a month, which I think is a terrific deal uh, for four calls, five calls a month. Um, and I'm probably going to raise the price after I have 10, 15, uh, 15 people in there. So um, just as a heads up, that's the direction we're, we're heading in there. And I, I'd love to get you know people in there and, and have a good group of people where we have a good discussion every, every month. And then from there, um, what I'm hoping to do is just get clarification on where people struggle with podcasting because I've been doing this for so long that a lot of this stuff just seems obvious to me. Um, and then I'll put together the bootcamp course and put that up for, for something you can sign up for. So anyway, those are my picks. Um, Bear, what are your picks? I think two things. Um, one, one is a YouTube channel that I've been watching a lot and uh, it's great content. Dave Farley, um, Continuous Deliveries uh, is the channel called. He, he wrote some, some famous books and he actually coined the term Continuous Delivery. Um, and it's, it's in line with testing. Like he, he talks a lot about testing, about, about uh, how, how all this comes together. And I really like his, his approach and his calm reasoning and uh, uh, the way he talks about it. And the other thing is I've, uh, I, I just finished, or just uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a trilogy, a uh, science fiction trilogy. And it's, it's, it, was, it was really offbeat because it's an African uh, science fiction trilogy. And it's called uh, uh, The Wormwoods. Trilogy and the first book is uh, what was it again? Rosewater. Yeah, uh, it's by Tate Thompson. He's a Nigerian. Uh, it's it's really awesome. It's 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 actually just in itself a very good story and really really entertaining. But also the angle of it being African and and from African perspective really open was was very new for me. Yeah, it's, it's it's cool. Cool. All right. One last thing: if people want to connect with you, where where um, do they find so you? Online. On my website, where I blog way too, uh, uh, to, to <laughs> where it's way too long that I blog there. Um, Berk dot s. Uh, s is my my handle almost everywhere, and on Mastodon, Berkes at Mastodon dot nl uh, can be found. Awesome. I'm also just going to throw in: I was in Amsterdam at the beginning of June, and cool country you live in. Thank you. So. All right. Are you, are you doing the real world? No, I'm not. Uh, I, 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 I I was out there. I, I had other things. I'm not really sure why it was, but I, I was really bummed that I couldn't get there because I had other appointments. But I'd, I'd love to. Yeah, well, it sold yeah, out sure. in like two <laughs> seconds. So, All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up here. Till next time, folks. Max out.